If you think Donald Trump is stupid, and you have every right to, imagine, imagine what his lawyers think of him. New York's Attorney General releases a letter that shows that Mazars, the accounting firm, has dropped Donald Trump, and Donald Trump's insane ego demands that Donald Trump release a statement fighting back against that Mazars letter. And when he does that, when Donald Trump does that, he contradicts everything that his lawyers have been telling the judge in that case. And then tonight, in the breaking news of the night, the attorney general of the state of New York uses Donald Trump's exact, profoundly stupid words in his statement against him. Also in that statement from Donald Trump, in response to the allegations that he inflated his wealth, the former president inflated his wealth, claiming, quote, we have a great company with fantastic assets that are unique, extremely valuable, and in many cases, far more valuable than what was listed in our financial statements. So there you have it, Joe, another confession from Donald Trump. Another confession, as Heilman said uh, years ago, everything Donald Trump says is either projection or confession. Mark, hey, he just... I think this guy's a little slow on the take on this when he doesn't get it. He's been exaggerating his entire life, as the lead New York Times story says this morning, that that that's just what he's been doing. He started by claiming that he was worth $8 billion in his presidential campaign, and then he sent out a tweet in all caps, I'm worth over $10 billion, and it was $5.7 billion. Uh, and, and so usually it's been investors and and, uh, you know, uh, uh, the teeming masses uh, that are thrown off by these false claims. But now he's got a lot of investigations that are ongoing, and he still doesn't get the fact that this could land him in really hot legal water. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. Folks, when it rains, it pours. And this week, it was raining Trump, thanks to a little investigation against the Trump Organization. While the January 6th committee deservedly gets all the attention for its attempt to get to the bottom of a democracy killing coup, it's the New York investigation that I have said all along will prove to be Trump's ultimate undoing. It's a very heated case when you start to dig into the, to the filings in New York and it feels like something is close. And it's also important to note that the, uh, the attorney general in New York is also, you know, very much in the, in the middle of, this, of the criminal case that's going on in the Manhattan DA's office. Um, so when something like this happens, it just, it, again, it just raises, you know, it feels like they're getting closer and closer to something on the, on, on, on the civil level in New York. So first, the news. Mazers USA, the accounting firm that former President Donald Trump and his businesses have used for years, cut ties with him in stunning fashion, declaring it could no longer vouch for the financial statements it has compiled over the past decade. Essentially a notice to the Trump Organization and Trump's attorney, Alan Garten, uh, that the uh, statements of financial condition as they pertain directly to former President Trump can no longer be relied upon from June of 2011 uh, to June of 2020. Uh, they say that they've uh, concluded this after the filings made by the New York Attorney General back in January. Their own internal uh, investigation and information they've received from internal and external sources, uh, they say as a result of this, they have a non-waivable conflict of interest. The February 9th letter was disclosed Monday, a 
amid litigation around a civil investigation into Trump and his businesses, where New York Attorney General Letitia James has alleged that Trump's businesses had made misstatements and omissions in the financial statements that were used in its dealings with banks. New York's Attorney General Letitia James revealed the letter in a court filing this week to support her argument that Donald Trump and his children should be forced to comply with her subpoenas for their under oath testimony about the Trump businesses. The accounting firm is backing away from Trump now after standing by his side for years of controversies and allegations about his financial practices. This is big fucking deal, folks. For an accountant to basically withdraw their report and to alert the client that the financial statements aren't reliable is a pretty extreme action. Mazars has flipped. Mazars has flipped and is working with New York prosecutors in their investigations of Donald Trump. Mazars, via the letter to the general counsel of Trump's businesses, Alan Garten, notified the Trump organization that the financial documents that the firm has complied on behalf of the former president should no longer be relied upon. The letter was made public on Monday in a court submission by James, who was investigating Trump and his businesses to determine whether any insurers, lenders, or others were misled by their financial statements. This is a big deal. It means that Mazars has flipped and is now protecting itself, not Trump, or as Trump put it in his statement last night, that Mazars didn't feel it could fight it out. That is undoubtedly the non-waivable conflict of interest with the Trump Organization referred to in Mazar's February 9th letter. The Mazar's letter also firmed up previous indications that the firm was winding down its relationship with Trump and his businesses, telling Garten that the firm was, and I quote, not able to provide any new work product to the Trump Organization. Sorry, sucker. You're on your own now. The fuck out of here. The firm said it would not even finish preparations of tax returns due this Tuesday for Trump and his wife Melania. The letter flagged that Mazers had been seeking for several months information about an apartment tied to Matt Calamari Jr., the Trump Organization's head of security who had been cooperating in the criminal investigation into Trump's businesses. Once that information is provided to your new tax preparers, the returns can be completed, the letter said. Problem is that he's been uh, doing this, engaging this braggadociousness since the 1980s. And so he's rarely paid a price for it. Even when he went bankrupt, he came back. Then he went on to become president, of course, while lying and, and bragging. And so he's really, <clears throat> excuse me, he's never paid a price for all of this. I think we still don't really know uh, yet and won't know for some time whether he actually will be held accountable <clears throat> legally. But I do think that if you are his lawyer or his accountant, well, we, we know his accountants don't want to be his accountant anymore. But I mean, can you imagine what a nightmare this would have to be? I mean, he I think this is a pathological need, obviously, to appear bigger than he is, um, to appear wealthier than he may be um, and to have more assets than he may have. But I think this is not going to serve him well in the New York uh, justice system. This is just too good. Mazers is effectively saying to Trump and his family, go fuck yourself and Melania, you too. Oh, and if you can cram Don Jr., Eric and Ivanka up that big ass of yours, go fuck them as well. 
Predictably, Donald Trump wants you to think Mazur's decision to ditch the Trump Bork last week is no big deal. In fact, he would like you not to think about it at all. But that hasn't stopped members of his inner sanctum from wondering if the highly publicized investigations in New York could actually be what ultimately torches the ex-president's sprawling family business and lands Trump behind bars. The filing with the judge in the case tonight, the attorney general says, it is truly rare for a party to publicly disagree with statements submitted by his own attorneys in a signed pleading, let alone one day after the pleading was filed. The attorney general refers to the fact that Donald Trump's lawyers insisted in writing to the court that Donald Trump should not be compelled to testify about his businesses because he does not know enough about his businesses. Tonight, the attorney general told the judge, quote, he professes intimate knowledge of his company, its assets, and their values. And in the statement made yesterday, quotes Donald Trump in the statement made yesterday where he attacked Hillary Clinton and the Attorney General. Today, the Attorney General points out that Donald Trump's written rant responding to the Mazars letter begins with Donald Trump's own description of the valuation of his assets, which is exactly what the Attorney General is investigating. The letter has implications both for investigations into Trump's financial dealings and for the future business endeavors of the former president. James disclosed the letter as part of her bid for a court order compelling Trump's compliance with her subpoenas in her civil investigation. Trump has sought to quash the subpoenas, which included demands for testimony from two of his children, with a claim that James was unconstitutionally seeking to circumvent the entire grand jury process by issuing the subpoenas in the civil proceedings, while a separate criminal investigation by the Manhattan District Attorney's Office plays out. If you are, uh, again, you know, somebody who maybe uh, worked behind the scenes on his behalf. This is not exactly encouraging behavior. I mean, he's essentially daring people to come after him. So he's not sorry, he's not repentant. And I, I think we'll see what happens, uh, you know, as this, this case plays out. But he's in a lot of legal trouble. This isn't gonna help. I mean, they tell you, even in criminal court, back in the day when I was a young cub reporter, you know, judges will tell you, please don't talk about these cases. They don't want you to, uh, you know, actually make things worse for yourself. And that's what Trump is doing here. James said in court filings Monday that Mazur's new assertions doubting the reliability of the Trump financial documents vindicated her efforts to investigate the statements. This is, as you said, Chris, a, a very big deal. Um, you know, it is a big deal in his, his business life. It's a big deal in the legal proceedings against him, both the civil enforcement proceedings and potentially the criminal proceedings. In this letter, he, or his public statement, he admits a lot of the facts that are in contest. Right. Um, he, I mean, that it, you, and you do rarely see that, as, as the attorney general said in her papers to the judge today. Rarely within a day or ever do you see a counseled client or target of an investigation come out and make admissions that go both to knowledge and to intent. Donald Bender, the lead Mazur partner who had been Trump's accountant for years, is cooperating with the district attorney's investigation and has appeared before the New York grand jury. 
The question now facing the Trump organization, which is already in deep shit after being indicted in Manhattan for criminal tax fraud last summer, is whether the pillars propping up his business empire will now crumble. If that next accounting company or firm determines that the president's uh, financial condition is not as strong um, as the one that uh, was presented in the documents prepared by Mazars, it could make things more complicated for him if he was to seek a new financing, for instance, uh, for future business propositions or uh, potentially for other sorts of uh, uh, loans that he may have outstanding. It could also uh, increase or decrease uh, the interest rate that he might have to pay on those loans. So there's all sort of uh, sorts of potential uh, uh, types of, uh, of issues that could come up in the presentation of these documents when he goes to a new firm. The massive bank loans that fund his real estate development projects are the foundation of his empire. Banks that approved lending Trump money for his golf courses and skyscrapers relied upon his personal guarantees and statements of financial condition guarantees that are now shaky at best. None of these sources who spoke to Trump believed he was taking this as seriously as he should. Two of them said the former president told them that his business empire has been doing great no matter what prosecutors are trying to do to it. And DOJ has a practice every year, every April, there's a targeted sweep of tax prosecutions designed to create deterrence. And one of the focuses in U.S. attorney's offices across the country is prosecuting people who are in positions of trust who cheat on their taxes. Well, this is the poster child case. After a day of remaining silent on the topic, the ex-president released a released a lengthy statement Tuesday night insisting that among many other things, and I quote, we have a great company with fantastic assets that are unique, extremely valuable, and in many cases, far more valuable than what was listed in our financial statements. Well, if you think Donald Trump is stupid, and you have every right to, imagine, imagine what his lawyers think of him. New York's attorney general releases a letter that shows that Mazars, the accounting firm, has dropped Donald Trump and Donald Trump's insane ego demands that Donald Trump release a statement fighting back against that Mazars letter. And when he does that, when Donald Trump does that, he contradicts everything that his lawyers have been telling the judge in that case. And then tonight, in the breaking news of the night, the attorney general of the state of New York uses Donald Trump's exact, profoundly stupid words in his statement. I call fucking bullshit. However, Mazur's decision on February 9th to disavow every fucking financial condition statement Trump made from 2011 until 2020 does more than cast a shadow of doubt on his riches and his future. That's because lending agreements often include provisions that immediately cancel a deal, causing the loan to default if the underlying documents prove false. According to a widely cited analysis by journalists at Bloomberg, the Trump Organization has had at least $590 million of debt coming due between 2021 and 2025. 
It's unclear if Trump's loan deals included a material change in condition clause, but if they did, as most do, the fallout could spell financial ruin. These were the things that Trump basically, they were sort of a brag sheet that, that his accountants compiled and he would give them to people he wanted to do business with. He gave them to the government when he wanted to deal to uh, lease the DC hotel. He gave them to potential lenders. It was basically, look, look how rich I am. Here's some numbers to show how rich I am. They're very important to him. They help him get a lot of business. And Mazars is basically saying that you can't rely on those for the last nine years, that they've gone back and looked and they don't think that they're at all reliable. That's important and it signals that the, the AG has, has sort of managed to peel away a pretty important layer very close to Trump in the financial architecture of the Trump Organization. According to government disclosure forms that Trump signed during his last week in office a year ago, Trump is on the hook for more than $130 million to Deutsche Bank that's due starting in 2023. His lifeline there is seemingly gone now that his longtime banker, Rosemary Vrablic, abruptly resigned amid allegations of shady deals with Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. I mean, seriously, who didn't expect that shit? Meanwhile, those disclosure forms show that Trump owes another $110 million to the Real Estate Investment Trust Ladder Capital Finance that's due starting this year. Although Trump continues to have a family friend at the firm, widely believed to be his loyal ally in the form of director Jack Weisselberg. Yeah, Jack Weisselberg, the son of the Trump Organization's indicted chief financial officer, Alan Weisselberg. One of the important things that we've said all along about this case is that they're going to have to prove intent. You know, if Trump misrepresented something about himself or his assets, the lenders, that he know that it was wrong, that he know he was misrepresenting something. And, you know, without getting into his head, how do you prove that? One way you might prove that is by showing that he lied to the gatekeepers. He lied to the people who represented him to the outside world. That would be lawyers, appraisers, and accountants. And they've gone after all three in this case, but the accountants are the most important. They're the ones who had the most documents, knew the most, and spoke the most for Trump in the context that matter. But for all the financial trouble this spells for Trump's family company, Mazur's decision to turn on him might be the catalyst to bring down Trump himself for alleged crimes, because any proven fraud puts further pressure on the already indicted CFO, Alan Weisselberg, who now faces trial later this year. The question is, will these added allegations of fraud put even more pressure on Weisselberg to flip as he potentially faces even more potential prison time? Regardless, this is the good shit that we live for. Trump getting it from all angles. Only in New York, kids. Only in New York. And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is Harry Littman. Littman is the host and mastermind behind the smash hit legal affairs podcast, Talking Feds. A former U.S. attorney and deputy attorney general, Littman can also be seen on MSNBC and CNN. In addition, he is a contributor to the Washington Post and the legal affairs columnist for the Los Angeles Times. He returns to Mea Culpa just moments after the Mazer story broke over the wire. While he finds the timing fortuitous, Littman also fears that Trump may never face any meaningful consequences for his myriad abuses of power with the last week's bruja over Trump's mismanagement and destruction of official documents as case in point. Quite simply, Trump does not believe the law applies to him. 
How this will manifest is the topic of today's episode. Only I'm a culpa, folks. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Harry, I want to start off talking about the recent Mazer's letter. Because this morning, you tweeted out, and I quote, Mazer's letter is an existential threat to solvency of the Trump organization, but they already live way off the cliff and have a playbook for it. Not so much for the AG James investigation, the bigger event here. Discuss what you meant here and what this means for Attorney General James's investigation of the Trump organization. Sure. And let me start by saying, uh, Mr. Michael Cohen, that it's really, I think, you to whom America owes the, uh, the, the debt or the revelation that, that you first made in testifying about this kind of um, loose and fast accounting practices where the Trump organization and sometimes Trump himself liked to give dramatically different evaluations if you're paying taxes or if you're getting a loan. This is, you know, the apartment that is actually only one third the size he's reporting and the like. Here's my feeling. Look, it's a pretty serious thing when your accountant of 10 years gives a, no, a vote of no confidence, but they wrote a pretty artful letter that said, basically, we are not seeing any material discrepancy. And my read of that between the lines from experience litigating these kinds of cases is you lied to us. You gave us information that was false. Uh, although we're not saying that our basic bill of health that we gave you has to be withdrawn. But they are now, there's a non-waivable conflict, and I think that means they're a material witness in the James investigation. They found out about the um, having been misinformed because they looked at the stuff James had developed as well as their own due diligence. So I think for the Trump organization, it's not a happy day, but uh, they go into their kind of crouch and counter sue and ra rattle sabers and say what they'll say. The bigger problem is the already blooming uh, James investigation civilly and, of course, the criminal one in the DA's office that she's joined, because this seems to substantiate exactly what she's been saying there. And so she was very quick to use the information to say, see, th there's a lot of smoke here. Let me depose Trump. That's the immediate thing he's trying to resist. And I think just in general, the Trump organization, even if it goes bankrupt, and I don't think this is an immediate risk of that, but even if it does, so be it. But the real risk is for individuals, including your old buddy, Alan Weisselberg, I'd say, um, as well as Trump family members for the false statements that the that Mazers is obviously saying they were fed. Yeah, it, it is really an incredible letter. And it's incredible the response that the Trump organization <laughs> yes. responded with. First of all, so Mazers, the killer words that I found there is should no longer be relied upon. That's your accountant for a decade and a half that provided these personal financial statements, which you're right, on February 27th of 2019, I disclosed to not just America, but to the world that Donald Trump was a con man and a fraud and a liar. Interesting, though, that the Republicans all decided to attack me on it. And I think that there were still, even at that time, a lot of Democrats 
that were skeptical about the statements that I was making that specific day. Let's also not forget that I also turned around and told the world that if Donald Trump loses the election, that there would never be a peaceful transfer of power. And I say this not because, again, I'm Nostradamus, but simply because I know the man well enough to understand. And I'm sophisticated enough in the practice of business to understand what Donald Trump was doing with those personal financial statements, right? He, Alan Weisselberg, a lot of this now has come up because Tish James is looking to depose Don Jr. and Ivanka regarding this civil matter. But the best part is really the response by um, the Trump organization that this now, you know, um, puts an end you know, should no longer be relied upon. And you should, right. It moots, it moots the entire James investigation. Right. Right. And it's truly amazing that they just come out with these statements that are so far out into God knows where they're, they're going to. And then there are people who are supporters of Trump, blind, stupid, you know, people that said, Oh, yeah. Well, I saw Alan Garten, their general counsel, turn around and say that this now negates the entire need for Don and Ivanka to come in and testify. The whole case is now over. And people truly believe that the case is over. The other thing I thought was really interesting in that letter was also how they claim that he and Melania have not filed their personal taxes and that it had to do with uh, Matt Calamari Jr.'s um, apartment and other things. And that's just, I mean, that's just like a piece of sand on the beach in terms of what Tish. But Michael, that, that apartment, that this, this figures in the whole uh, investigation, right? And so is that apartment the one that supposedly Alan Weisselberg had for no money? Or is that the apartment that Trump uh, represented was three times the size it really was? No. Or is, is it all the apartments? It, who Who is he exactly? So you're conflating two things. Yeah. The Trump organization gave an apartment to Alan Weisselberg's son, Barry. And thanks to Jennifer Weisselberg and her testimony, that then put out there that they weren't paying any rent onto it. And that should have been considered as part of compensation, et cetera. Matt Calamari is the chief operating officer at the Trump organization, Alan Weisselberg being the chief financial officer. Matt Calamari got for his son, Matty Jr., the identical thing that Barry Weisselberg had. And that, too, is now part of the investigation. But what I thought was really interesting in that letter is how Mazur's really soft-stroked the letter for Trump and saying, well, don't worry, you're owed taxes back. And so if there's a penalty, it'll offset so you don't have to worry about it. I call bullshit on that one. I went straight up onto my Twitter account, and I call bullshit on that one. We all know that the way they played around with numbers and so on, uh, that you know Trump received back over $100 million of refund over the years. And so all of that is now under scrutiny. Most of it is lies. Uh, it's terrible tax manipulation using improper numbers and so on. So whatever's going to end up happening, rest assured, Trump is going to owe taxes. Let me rephrase that. The Trump organization is going to owe back taxes um, for many, many years. Um, And those, of course, come with these exorbitant, and I know because I paid them, uh, exorbitant 
penalties and interests. And with that, you're going to start to see the Trump organization having to sell assets. The problem with the Trump organization selling assets is that while there's equity in those assets, he has very low basis. So now he's going to have capital gain. So at least half of that money or 40 percent, give or take, is going to go to the government. And the balance of what will be left over is not enough in order to offset. So there's going to be some real serious um, financial issues coming up as a result of Tish James's investigation. So I just wanted to follow up. Uh, you you uh, threw a little curveball at the very end because I thought uh, things that were coming up would have to do with Mazers and the Trump organization itself, suits, countersuits, possible bankruptcy. You know, Tish James, it's more serious. It doesn't just augur some um, uh, back taxes and, and the like, especially since she's coupling with the New York DA investigation. I agreed with you. There were some um, very soft pedaled uh, attempted, you know, olive branches in the letter, including the kind of headline, at least the one that the Trump organization, not surprisingly, seized on that we don't see any material uh, discrepancies. But that that all, I think, is just going to be a storm that will play out over some years and it'll involve the different lenders. If they're forced into bankruptcy, it's the it's a total scrum and mess. I see that, but I also see that it's more or less par for the course they like to play on and something that will take some years. The James investigation, the and the Bragg DA's investigation, those are, you know, those are freight trains coming right down the track at him. He doesn't control the the timing. And to the extent this buoys their proof and maybe even makes Mazers a material witness, that I think is the more direct and immediate threat. And it's of course, as you mentioned, not just of him, but also of Ivanka and Don Jr., who James wants to depose, and who knows exactly what the DA is looking into. We thought the DA was going to be making a charging decision, Cy Vance Jr., that is, when we knew he was leaving office at the end of 2021, but he instead he handed on the reins. So we don't know the pace of that, but we know it's pretty well developed. Yeah, well, as you're well aware, I've probably met with both law enforcement agencies uh, at least about 14 times now. So the answer is, I have a pretty good suspicion in terms of what they're going after. And it is significant. And I do believe. And do you agree with me, Michael, that that's the bigger that yesterday's news, the bigger risk, the bigger sort of uh, explosion is in his personal life and that of his family more than the organization? Well, they're intertwined. You know, people who talk yes. about the Trump organization, remember, it's his eponymous company uh, and that right. at the end of the day, he is the Trump organization and the Trump organization is him. So you really can't separate the two out. And what I thought was super interesting, too, is in the um, court filing, they turned around and the investigators determined that the official statement of Trump's financial condition were made. And the quote there was in broad terms and in ways which were often inaccurate or misleading when compared with the supporting data and documentation that the Trump organization submitted to the accounting firm. That's a real problem, too. And with the slightest amount of pressure on Mazers or the accountant there, Donald Bender, 
I believe that they will have no choice but to come in and to cooperate. Again, all they need to do is to say, this is what was given to me. Okay, Mr. Bender. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And also from a prosecutor's point of view, it makes the kind of boring paper case into a pretty interesting one. Because just as you say, Michael, you put this loan application up and this tax uh, bill or whatever, and you see the different discrepancies and the the jury has an exhibit instead of 10,000 pages of paper that make them gloss over a good prosecutor will give them 15 and they'll be, it will vividly underscore, you know, a story that everybody understands, which is lying about how much something's worth. And for obvious reasons. Yeah. And all they'll do is say, Mr. Bender, who gave you this information? Alan Weisselberg, right? Um, Donald Trump. Did you ever say, how did this process work out? And he'll walk them through exactly what would happen year after year after year. Remember, I gave to the House Oversight Committee three years worth of those um, personal financial statements. So they they have the originals and they have a multitude of um, statements that were made by individuals regarding those documents. And can I can I follow up? Because you know this better than anybody. You said Alan Weisselberg, Donald Trump, what we're what Trump at least is personally suggesting, and it's an interesting thing because it maybe puts him crosswise with Weisselberg, is he never made the statements. It always was Weisselberg. Do you actually think that in the dealings with Mazers and with the big accountants, Trump got on the phone and said, yeah, here's what the apartment is worth? Or do you was that always Weisselberg's job? In person. And Donald Bennett used really? to spend quite a bit of time at the yeah. office every year around the tax time. See, I see. They would come in, they would lock the door. It would be Bender, Weisselberg, and Donald. Every now and then you'd have a Jeff McConney coming in with a, a file or something wow. like that. Remember what I had also said at that time. Those are all admissions, by That's the way. correct. Yeah. Remember at the time okay. that I was testifying before uh, Congressman Cummings and the House Oversight Committee, when mm-hmm. I said nothing happens at the Trump organization without Donald Trump's involvement. And I mean absolutely nothing. To the extent he signed every single check, I should say everything, almost yeah. every single check, other than a handful that Allen had authorization signed because they were repeating checks. Other than that, he signed everything. You were not permitted to do anything until there was a sign-off. And the sign-off came on a document with his either his full name that he would scratch it out or an initial. All right. So there's nothing there's nothing here that he's going to be able to hide behind. But then again, I totally agree with you, Harry. You are the lawyer, the lawyer extraordinaire. And I agree with you that that's an argument he will try to make. And it will put him at odds now with Alan Weisselberg. 100 percent. And Weisselberg, if, if Weisselberg's liability increases, you know, he's now 72. It gets a little tricky. Let me ask you this. Did you. So I assume it was already the case back then that he never used email. What did he do? Well, you know, we're hearing all the about all the records he tore up uh, in, in violation of the Presidential Records Act. What about what about the paper trail within the Trump organization? Did he make sure it never touched him or it was sparse? No, no, no. It's. There are paper documents. Chances are, um, you know, they were either by email to somebody else, whether it was his executive assistant, Rona Graf, or it would come to people like myself or to Weisselberg. So there's still a footprint 
It just doesn't have Donald's email because, again, he never had it. But, Harry, let me move on for one second because I want to continue with yeah. this. Um, Lots to talk yeah, about. Let's yeah. talk about the substance of the letter itself that Mazers wrote. Right. While we have not, and I, this yeah. is their quote, while we have not concluded that, that lawyers for Mazers wrote. That's, that's yes. correct. While we have not right. concluded that the various financial statements as a whole contain material discrepancies, we believe our advice to you to no longer rely upon those statements is appropriate. They also talk about having non waivable conflict of interest. Can you do me a favor? You know, can you translate? from, you know, lawyeries, yeah. what they're talking about from my yeah. audience. And what is Mazers trying to do here? All right. Let me try to decode. I think very likely Mazers discovered from looking at what James had and their own due diligence, if they'd been lied to by, and to hear you tell it, Michael, it sounds like maybe by Trump personally, as well as Weisselberg and others. Now, what do they do? All right. So first, that statement, which is the sort of, you know, sweet uh, aspect that the Trump organization um, trumpeted, uh, is, I think, a way of saying, we're not positive that you're insolvent, because that was our bottom line on the letter that you could use to lenders saying, you know, so if it had been that in fact the lies were so undermining everything that the Trump organization said, I don't think they could make that claim. All right, so what have they found? They found that all this information they got was false and probably a lie, fraudulent. Why does that put them in a non-waivable conflict? Because it means that they're gonna be material witnesses in the AG and DA investigation and if you're somebody's accountant, you can't do that normally because you have a duty of loyalty and a duty of confidentiality. When law enforcement comes calling, that all gets thrown out the window and you have to set aside your duties and talk. So that means it's non-waivable. We now have information that's going to harm you and therefore our obligation to not harm you has to go away and we want you to know that. So my short take on, on this all is they're saying they're, it's not necessarily so that, you know, the Trump organization is insolvent and is going down tomorrow, but it is necessarily so that they got a bum steer in many ways from individuals who are now being investigated by the New York AG DA. They've now become material witnesses and they've got to answer the call of duty, which I'm sure is a painful thing for them to do. Right. Trump is their number one, two, three, four and five you know, marquee client for all these 10 and 10 years to revise. It's ugly. And they know they're probably going to get sued and there are lawyers everywhere. But that's what they're saying. We can't we're get, cutting you a break. We haven't gotten to the the bottom of the depths to say that the, the entire thing was, you know, fraud top to bottom. And you guys are actually facing bankruptcy. But we are saying you lied and we're going to have to tell law enforcement about it. What are they trying to do? Obviously, what, what any accountant and professional wants to do in this situation, keep keep out of the out of trouble themselves, cover their butts. And, um, you know, cooperate with the, not let their professional association with Trump bring them down. And, man, it's a very important association so that they've concluded this means, you know, he's in a world of hurt that they concluded they have to um, step away from their biggest relationship. Is it also possible that their big concern is that they cannot actually 
prevent um, themselves from having to answer based upon the crime fraud exception rule. I mean, if it's stated that this that there's a crime, the crime using the document, um, which is inaccurate in order to advance, whether it was for insurance or whether it was for bank loans or for the acquisition of the Buffalo Bills or anything else that he may have used that PFS for, that that would fall under yeah. the crime fraud exception rule and they would not be permitted at that time to then claim um, accountant client privilege yeah so look they've already said we we will not stand behind accountant client privilege that what you're the scenario you're talking about potentially could come into play if trump sues and instructs them this is my information you must stand behind it and then you could see a judge um deciding at, at the behest of Mazers. Mazers just wants to stay out, keep its head down and stay out of trouble. We'll do whatever you tell us, court. We can't listen to Trump anymore, but whatever you tell us, just please don't put us in jail or, or shut us down. So there's a scenario where that happens, but there, but it's not because they're going to assert it. It's because Trump, notwithstanding what they said, would try to assert it. But they've already said it's gone because whether or not it was a crime fraud exception applies, this is false information. And when we're asked by somebody showing a badge, do you know this to be true? We're going to have to say, in fact, we know it to be false. And that's a bad day for the, the person who made the statement. Yeah, I agree. But let's not forget Trump already brought an action against Mazers once before in order oh, to prevent yeah. Mazers from providing yeah to, uh, at that time, DA Cyrus Vance and to his office, the tax returns, which of course, as we all know- That's his MO. He lost. Sue everybody and yeah. And the more you're accused, the more you double down, you know, like, you know, you've lived with it, so you know better than I, but he he does astonish when everything that seems bad, that means for him, it's perfect. Not like, you know, uh, this is a little off point, but I, you're in New York. I'm sure you were following the New York Times versus Palin lawsuit where the New York Times said we blew it. But, you know, listen to our explanation. And the judge did and said, you know, you're OK. Trump, the worse the accusations are and the more red handed he's caught, the, the more fantastic are his claims and the more he com- he pronounces himself completely exonerated. It's it's a bizarre psychological feature. And you've probably concluded the same. I long since concluded trying to, you know, psychoanalyze that man is a, is a, you know, that path. It's lies all it madness. Is, is deflection. So Harry, you do something, you do something wrong. And Donald's saying, it's not me. It's not me. It's Harry. It's, it's yeah. Harry. And this Chris is going to create a yeah. real serious problem, which brings me to my next question, which, of course, is what's going on with Rudy Giuliani. Right. And what Trump is yeah. going to do is he's going to deflect the same way he did to me the same way. The difference, though, was when he was doing it to me, he fucked me up because he was president, yeah. because he had a willing yeah. and complicit piece of shit in Bill Barr, an attorney general. Right, who was willing to do anything for the Fuhrer. Now, of course, we got a guy who's got his thumb up his ass and he's just sitting there, you know, twiddle D and twiddle dumbing. Right. This is this is a complete opposite type of AG than what we had at Bill Barr, who was willing to completely violate the oath of office and do Donald's dirty, you know, dirty work like I used to at the Trump organization. But my question to you, Harry, is as follows. It was announced yesterday 
that Rudy Colludi Giuliani is now in talks to cooperate with the January 6th committee. Despite the fact that the man is a walking caricature, he's a fucking goofball, right, with his demeanor, shields the fact that he has held a position of incredible responsibility in the Trump administration serving as a de facto consigliere. It's undoubtable that he knows where the bodies are buried and that he has the goods on Trump. Though, of course, you may remember he stated at one point he has an insurance policy. We still don't know what that was. The, the question is, will he turn on Trump? Is Rudy's cooperation an attempt to finagle some kind of immunity deal for his um, other misdeeds in exchange for delivering Trump on a silver platter? What's your thoughts? That's a pretty long question. And let me start by saying I, I do not uh, uh, sign on to the I, un, I understand it, but I don't sign on to the characterizations of either of the last two attorneys general either. I forget what you said to borrow. It, it'll be an interesting time for you when his book comes out or the thumb up the ass characterization of my uh, previous boss, Merrick Garland. So we'll just set those to the side, but I understand you're making them. Look, let me say this about Giuliani. Actually, first, I have a question for you. Uh, I've got a lot to say about Giuliani, so no worries. But one thing I haven't said on TV, but it struck me as possible, they famously had these fee disputes. And you got to wonder if one of the things that Giuliani is doing is trying to scare Trump into paying up whatever Giuliani says he owes him. Let me let me set that to the side for when I get back to you. The number one thing I want to say, Michael, is I think we've got a lot of wishful thinking here. All that's happened, if you carefully read the newspaper reports, is that one of Giuliani's three lawyers in asking for an extension kind of played it nice which might just be his you know, personal MO with the committee. And everything else is, are these pretty um, uh, loose statements by members of the committee. We expect him now to cooperate fully. Now, of course, God knows he should cooperate fully. He's a former U.S. attorney. He's gotten a subpoena. You go, you get a subpoena and you, and you show up. But as you say, and here is one part of your uh, diatribe that I won't run from. He knows, not only does he know where the bodies are buried, he did some, a lot of the burying himself. And But the aspects that they say he's going to testify about the election fraud, that's especially bizarre because he is neck deep in, in that. Here's a sort of inside baseball federal prosecutorial term. There's something called a spoke and hub conspiracy. And that's what we have. He is the hub and the five spokes, or maybe seven, go out to the different states. He's the impresario of it all, the whole sort of forgery gate and the alternate um, electors. He's dripping with potential criminal liability. That's one reason you wouldn't think he'd want to cooperate. Now, the overall point you make, though, is pretty good in terms of what deal he might he thinks he can maybe secure. You've had, I think, 18 now um, close, you know, members of Trump's close circle who have, you know, waved their their thumb at the, on their at the um, committee and said, screw you. Um, and he might think that they really, really need him and time is short and he could get an extremely favorable deal and not run the risk of a criminal conviction at his um, age. And in uh, particular, he could maybe even avoid having to say things under oath and be subject to perjury. 
But I will just say that if you read it carefully, we are, you know, maybe two baby steps down uh, on a long path before Giuliani shows up and raises his right hand. I really don't expect it. And uh, the only thing cutting in the other direction is maybe the calculation of him and his lawyers. They need him so much that they'll take what they can get. But he's he's got all kinds of reasons uh, not to test, not to cooperate, not to testify. And I don't think those have been negatived by the news reports we've we've read that said there's been some conversation with one of his lawyers and somebody on the committee. So let me now give you the counterpoint to that, because I believe okay. that Rudy Colludi yeah. will provide testimony and will provide documentation. Yeah. So here's the reason. First and foremost, Rudy has no money. He's really on the balls of his ass right what, now. What makes you say that? Because, because I know. Because he was getting. Because I know. Okay. Rudy has. All right. Has, that, that's a big point. He has no more business. His, he lost it, including his law license yeah. being suspended. Um, when yeah. he was close to Trump, he was taking yeah. in money. That is true from these foreign big sources. fees from other people. That's right. Yeah. But yeah. he still had part of that's going for taxes. Don't forget, he's involved in another divorce now that he owes money on. Right. He is right. he's financially okay. strapped. On top of that, he uh, also okay. has the lawsuit by Dominion voting machines, which is pretty yes. significant. So he's burning through legal legal fees at a pretty mm, substantial rate. And he was very forthright on television talking about how Donald owes him millions and millions of dollars. Right. Now, right. interestingly enough, you would think that Donald, who's a fucking moron, would have learned from what he had done with me. You may want to keep your lawyer close to you this time, especially when you need deep into shit, in, as well as with um, you know the phone call to Raffensperger and others. Rudy's stupidity and going to the Four Seasons landscaping, um, you know, in front of the morgue and the and the the body massage place. You would think that he would figure out how to get Rudy's bills paid, how to keep him close. But instead, that's not the Trump way, even though it's not even Donald's money. Right. It's money that was donated to Donald. That's not the Donald Trump right. way. The Donald Trump way is to say, first of all, I never liked Rudy in the first place. We were never friends. Look, I was there from 2007 on. Why don't you ask me how many times that Rudy came to the office? Eh, zero, right? How many right. times did they speak on the phone? Eh, probably another zero. He was never a big fan of Rudy's. He needed Rudy because of Rudy's, we'll call it popularity, known as America's mayor. When he started to realize that Rudy's a babbling, drunken buffoon, that's when he turned and said, let him do whatever it is that he wants to do for my benefit. And when the shit hits the fan, fuck him. Throw him under the bus. Welcome to Under the Bus Club, Rudy, because you're going to see what it feels like to get run over by a lying con man. Right. And he, I'm not talking about Rudy now. I'm talking about Donald. So you have Dominion yeah. fees. Donald owes fees. You know, he has no money right now. He has no business. You know, he's burning through money with these law firms. I believe that he's going to try to strike a deal in order to keep him out of prison. That's what I believe. Well, look, you know, I so that it's big news and, imp and an important fact. And I, I you would know better than I if he's truly 
broke. He was making these outlandish fees before, but everything you say is right about taxes and divorces and and the Dominion suit itself could be it doesn't matter how much the verdict could be huge. So that that would change the calculation. Of course, even if he's got all kinds of money at his age, he does not want to, you know, end his life in jail. That's that's for sure. But um, I'll just say that at least the way they're talking, the kind of thing that he would testify to most readily and where there's obviously no attorney, client or executive branch privilege, the things the things he's saying to other people, AGs in other states, phony electors, that's some bad criminal um, liability for him. So maybe he's making this, you know, triple bank shot or that's what he's trying. And this will be uh, a good detail to, to for your listeners to know if they don't already. And I'll try not to be too um, pointy headed about it. But we had a big case. You know, they're talking about giving some people immunity. And if he gets immunity, it's going to make it a lot harder to for the department to try and convict him because we have a case going back to the 80s, Oliver North, the Iran-Contra affair, where the it, it hobbles the department because they have to show in no way, form, or any possibility did anybody, may, including witnesses, make any use of that testimony. So, you know, he could be he could be being ultra strategic that way. But the stuff he is talking about talking about he is so so thick uh in and is you know really on the hook for now that means maybe he just doesn't have a good a good choice so and i take your point i think it does change the calculation if he's broke but um and and by the way if it's true um it would blow things wide open because you know even going back to the first impeachment he's uh, except for the fact that people don't believe him and he has terrible credibility problems. What he knows, I, I'm I'm trying to think if there's anyone, may, maybe there are a couple starting with Ivanka, but I mean, he really has the goods on the 45th president of the United States. I agree. Yeah. So let me move on for a quick second to go to the other, sure. the, ne- the next jerk off in, in our you know list of jerk offs here. A federal judge. I don't even know who it is yet. I'm just not endorsing Jerkoff. Yeah. But go ahead. All right. So a federal judge has ordered John Eastman. That's the Jerkoff. Oh, to provide, boy. Yeah. To provide okay. details about his legal work for Donald Trump. Part of an effort right. to determine whether Eastman can legitimately claim attorney-client privilege over, you know, key January 6th related right. emails. If those emails are not shielded by executive privilege. Do you think that their substance will be, you know, the substance of those emails will be explosive? Yes. So it's a great question, Michael. So he's the guy, you know, there are two really um, discreditable and discredited lawyers here. And he's one of them. He's the guy who concocts the whole scheme completely un- unconstitutional uh, and has the meeting on January 2nd with Trump, who, you know, a Scott Perry from Pennsylvania hooks them up and Trump is, you know, any poured in the storm. So he's really feeding some um, nefarious shit, I think I can maybe say on this um, podcast. Now, he's going to want to claim attorney client. He, he, he was boasting that he gave 8,000 documents over 
Uh, I think it was yesterday, but of course he withheld 11,000 wanting to claim attorney client privilege. And I think there's a hearing now coming up later this week. And here's the thing. It's not at all clear the guy was acting as an attorney at all. He's not, he, he doesn't have any role in the um, executive branch. He's just a sort of schlubby guy who teaches at Chapman University, which has now fired him and is just uh, comes to Trump's attention because he's willing to uh, advance this really um, meritless theory. So he might miss out on the very first step of having attorney-client privilege, namely being an attorney. And if that happens, all, all 11,000 get, you know, immediately turned over. He's a guy who's taken the fifth for himself, but as you as you know well, for, you know, that, that, that won't help him for the most part with all the documents. And I think it is explosive. I think what we're learning more and more, maybe you were already ahead of the game as you often are, but is this, you know, everyone... Uh, focused on January 6th as a mind-blowing event, which it surely was, but we're learning it was just the sort of final chapter in a whole course of conduct that started not long after the election. And this episode with Eastman and January 2nd, and, and it's connected to the, you know, Trump's efforts to eventually get Pence to break the law. Um, that's That's a big part of this whole course of conduct. And it, right now, they don't really have the goods on it so much. We just have a have an overall sense. If they got it through documents or testimony, I think explosive is just the word for it. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you. However, you know, just so that my listeners know, John Eastman was the lawyer that actually created that whole fringe legal theory on how Mike Pence could block the Electoral College uh, right. votes in Congress, which we all know is nonsensical. Um, it's not just 11,000 emails. Those are the ones that he claims are privileged. There's also yeah. uh, an allegation by him that he's still sorting through an additional 48,000 pages. I mean, look, right. does that mean that all four, a lot of pages? It's a lot yeah. of pages. Uh, does that mean that 48,000 pages are each going to have explosive information on them? No. But all you need is one, two, 10, 20, 30, right? That's all that you need. 10, stop at 10. That's what good prosecutors learn. You just, you know, you got to tell that story, which we just know by hearsay of January 2nd in the Oval Office, Trump's personal involvement. And, you know, and that it would be impeachable if we were still in office. It won't, it won't, you know, be the thing that brings the entire Trump edifice crashing down, but it's big. It just shows from day one, he's, he's, in there to do anything he can, including break the law. That's, you know, it's completely connected, for example, with the call to the Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger that you referred to not long ago. This 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 is a frenzied, completely lawless, you know, desperado. He remains that. And we want, if nothing else, history to record just what he did and this episode and the goods that Eastman can bring to the table. It's a big part of it. Let me just take a step back and say all of it is ridiculous that the people who are being subpoenaed aren't right now stepping up, giving what they have. This It never really happened before a few years ago, before Trump hit on this strategy of saying, I don't care what my claims are. I'm just going to 
going to say screw you and the time and you're then the clock will run out i'm going into a new four corners kind of defense that that uh, that was so many of the key witnesses you've got to fight tooth and nail like this and and some of them you you you'll lose or you won't win and in sufficient time you know they have yeah it's super important to hold trump to account but it's incredibly important that for democracy to have a full account of just what the hell happened and the january 6th committee is fighting 18 trump witnesses trump himself all but two of the republicans with uh, with no really uh, plausible justification at, for obstructing just just a democratic imperative of knowing what the hell happened. Well, then let's go back to your old boss, Merrick Garland. This is the point I'm trying okay. to make with this thumbs up his ass. All right. All right. As far as I'm concerned, I know I do not endorse that character. Quiet now, Harry. All right. So one of the <laughs> one of the things that happens is the House turns around yeah. and sends over to the attorney general a request yep. in order to hold them, you know, accountable for failing in contempt of right. in contempt of Congress. So far, you have this. We're now going on what three, four months since Mark Meadows chose not to show up. If I was the attorney general, mid-December, a, l- a little more than two, okay. but a long time. It's, it's too too long. Enough already. The first time you hold one responsible, the next will finally show up. And if not, let him share the cell with them. This is not right. Everybody is obligated when subpoenaed to come in and to testify. Forget about the fact that you're an American and it's your obligation and your duty. It's the law. And if they break it, they too should be held accountable. And that's why that's why the Democrats right now, that's why we all look toothless, because nothing happens. You get a subpoena, you take it, you wipe your ass with it, and you throw it in the garbage, right? And then they turn and say, fuck you, I'm not showing up. I don't care what you say. Donald told me not to show up, so I'm not showing up. This is not the way that our democracy works. And this is really the beginning to the destruction of our democracy when Congress can't get people to come in and to testify. Think for a second what would have happened if I did the same thing on February 27th of 2019. None of this would be going on right now. And worse than that, I would have kept my mouth shut, guaranteed Trump would have given me a pardon. And I'd be off in Florida as well with the rest of the lunch bunch sitting there. But we have an obligation to democracy. And that's a problem. But I want to just move on for one quick sec here. The outrage. The outrage of last week was something that we refer yeah. to here on Maya Culpa as toilet gate uh-huh. or Trump's handling of official documents, ultimately leading yeah. to the discovery of boxes of classified material having been taken to Mar-a-Lago or stuffing up the toilet by ripping up papers. Now, Trump claims that he took the documents for his presidential library, but hidden in those boxes could likely be more incriminating information against Trump, right? Is this worthy of a DOJ investigation? Because we know that the archive committee, right, that they came, they took it. Some of this stuff was classified top secret. Why is there no DOJ investigation already? Whoa, 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 whoa. So there's, in fact, they've been asked to... Michael, you're so knowledgeable and so revved up that that I've got like, you know, I don't know where to start. I'll I'll say very briefly about Meadows. I basically agree with everything you say about um, 
the obligation that he has and even the colorful way you put it. I'll just point out the difference between that and a knowing crime and Bannon. It's an e- it was an easy call for them because he didn't have any pl- plausible claim to, to privilege, even if you have a plausible but wrong one. That really bears on whether you're going to be, you know, whether they can prove a crime beyond a reasonable doubt. You're getting they surely are meeting with Meadows folks, et cetera. It's just it just underscores what he said. January 5th, their timeline is not the same as Congress's timeline. We can return to Merrick Garland if you want. But that's just a a quick point. Okay, but so on um, on, you know, this whole uh, Presidential Records Act, First of all, I, there's going to be a big uh, competition for who gets the official naming rights. I think maybe you've got maybe you won with your with your uh, Fleshgate, and and that's going to be worth a lot of money. So kudos to you. Um, you're right. So I've I've got a piece on this coming out tomorrow in the L.A. Times. It's a solid case. Uh, there's, there's a, you know, a statute, even though the records act itself is an honor system, which of course doesn't help against the dishonorable. There is a statute dating from the 19th century. It does make it a crime. It's the very statute, ironically, that like Mike McKay was saying, Hillary Clinton had violated and, you know, for, for sloppiness with, um, personal emails, so it's the proof is very strong. And, you know, one of the strongest items is just what you're talking about, because nobody uh, puts, you know, big uh, wads of printed paper down the toilet for their president, <laughs> even for his presidential um, library and not much less tearing things up and after being told, et cetera. So the violation is clear And it's a pretty good case in the sense of, you know, we've been talking about, will Rudy turn on him? Will Mark Meadows turn on him? What happens if they don't? You prove this guy case through the 12 people we're we're told they already have witnesses who like would testify. They're just they're just guys who work in the White House and they're trained. We've got to We we had to fish things out and like tape it all up because we knew we had we had to put on the rubber gloves and go into the toilet and get the stuff out. Those are very credible witnesses. And there's a a lot of people point out high um, intent requirement. There is. But that high intent requirement is totally met here. The requirement is that he do it willfully, meaning it's not just an intentional act like it would be if he was like, you know, in a fit of peak tearing up paper. He's doing it in order to do the harm that the statute's trying to prevent. That is what he wants to do is destroy records. And the proof there is overwhelming. So it's a solid case on proof. It's a righteous case in the sense that it's not just minister. It's not just about records. It's about the public's right to know and accountability and deciding who's custodian of history, et cetera. All of that is true. And if it were different circumstances or someone other than Trump, uh, I, I think they would jump in with both feet. I don't think they will here. Why not? Because, you know, you bring that big, you, you wheel out the um, cannon against the former president of the United States with all which all, all it entails legally, politically, policy wise. I, I know there are many people like you who are outraged and think it's way overdue, but it's a pretty weighty decision. It's probably a decision for Biden him, himself, at least in large part. 
And I think they'll think, I think it's a solid case and a righteous case, but is it the kind of case you try you bring the, a former president down on? Is it is it that sort of big relative to say, for example, what we're talking about, you know, a conspiracy to keep to prevent the peaceful transfer of power? Uh, you know, if you have that solid, you got to bring it. But, um, you know, my best guess is they won't. And that's the that's the reason not even though. So that's probably a pretty unsatisfying answer for you. I try to explain it more in this op ed tomorrow, but strong case, solid case, righteous case, but won't be the DOJ's case. Is my best guess. Well, and at the end of the day, just tack it on to the multitude of crimes that he should already have been. Well, that's right. On. It's enough already. Yeah. At some point in time, you know, I've often said yeah. this on television and so on. But you have to you have to think of crimes one at a time, though, Michael. You can't, you know, right. you can't say, well, he. Yeah. but, you know, the okay. you know, the expression better than anybody. Has. And there are you, others out there. Yes. You don't need to kill 10 people to be a murderer. Just let them stick with one. And then just hold them accountable yeah. for that because you get this thing that's going on. And you're right. A lot of people are going to be disgusted. He was so, you know, he was so vocal about Hillary Clinton and white bleaching, whatever it was, her, um, you know, her cell phones and information and the missing emails and all that other yeah. shit. Meanwhile, this guy is the worst offender of everything. And that's the weirdest in thing history. in history. But let me move on for a second right. and switch gears. I want to talk. I do just yeah. want to say you got to do one crime at a time. But and there but there are others out there, including Fulton County, say, which if they have them, that is grave enough. But uh, I you know, there's it's just hard to say, oh, he's done sick. He's been skating through the raindrops so long. And now we got him on this and they do. But still, you know, this is. Well, you've you've heard my pitch. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so sweet. it's not even a pitch. It's like, man, this is unfortunate in a way, but this is the 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 cards that we've been down on on this offense. Yeah, go ahead. So, so again, switching gears for a moment, I want to talk to you about Ron DeSantis. The narrative recently mm -hmm. is of Trump losing his sway within the far right of the GOP yeah. for his support of vaccines. Now, this couples yeah. with an insurgent DeSantis who promises a more competent, less chaotic version of Trumpism. In your reading of the tea leaves, is DeSantis a true threat to Trump? And if so, who do you see as the true heir to the MAGA throne? Because it's my belief that even when we're done with Trump, the movement he's unleashed will be with us for at least a generation. If you would, what's your opinion? Discuss this. Yeah. I mean, the worry, this is not my expertise, but the worry is that it's DeSantis. I mean, nobody cares about Trump himself. They just want the throne. And he's a guy, he's smart, which I think makes him even more of a rogue. The way he treats the citizens of Florida and his indifference to their health so he can make a MAGA claim that he's obviously, you know, Trump. I, I said this at the outset, God, you know, trying to psychoanalyze him is a, is a fool's errand. But DeSantis is obviously a smart guy who knows better. And he's and he is basically um, endorsing the whole MAGA rhetoric 
just be, you know, because he wants the power. So my immediate um, worry is, and there's some reason to believe I, we've been believing this forever and we've been shown wrong again and again, but there's some reason to believe that his authority is ebbing, that pe- that, that the party would be, you know, glad to be done with him, with Trump, that is, if they could. And obviously people in the wings waiting to just endorse him. But m- most of them, like DeSantis, have concluded the way forward, even over a fallen Trump, is to keep, you know, spouting these things. Otherwise, even if he's out of power, he can harm us with the base. And then the base has these views. So I think, like to me, DeSantis plays it more credibly than, say, a guy like Cruz or, you know, is is, Mar- is Marco Rubio now making a move for the MAGA crowd? I don't, you know, I don't know. So I, I, I think DeSantis when you when you have the your biggest cold sweat at night and think like Jesus as bad as January 6 was is was it just a dress rehearsal for what's coming next then you you think about a Trump 2.0 and to me DeSantis is as strong a candidate for that role as uh, anybody and you're right I think that the that the rhetoric and the basic partisan divide that it gives rise to is not going away. That's been the sort of big, you know, disastrous surprise of the last year. You might have thought after January 6th, well, at least we're done with this. On the contrary, you know, what is it? 40, 60 percent of Republicans still believe the election was stolen and the like. And Trump may might not have enough power to prevail, but might have enough power to impose certain, you know, views on anyone who wants to be president. And that might mean DeSantis, and that might, you know, mean he he's in, he he wears the red cap. We'll we'll see. It strikes me he's as likely as anyone, and more dangerous than anyone. You know, my bigger fear is not even so much of yeah. DeSantis and the Josh Hawleys yeah. and the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Lauren Boberts, right. who are all fucked up and they're all crazy as shit. Right? That's not my yeah. big fear. My fear is when you have someone like Trump. Who, as you rightfully stated, has between 40, 50, 60 percent of the Republican Party that are still part of his base. Take a percentage of them who are also that shit, crazy sycophants when he says, if in fact that I get indicted in any of these states that are bringing actions against rightful actions, rightful actions. I want you to I want you to lock and lock and load. I mean, this is dangerous rhetoric. Because God forbid, and if somebody gets hurt or killed or killed, Donald will just say, I didn't say anything. I just said lock and load. Yeah. It doesn't mean anything. Lock and load. Yeah. When you're going to go bowl, you know, lock and load, knock down the pins. Right. And then this is how. That's a pretty good invitation. Thank you. I, yeah. Listen, I used to do it to him across the mm-hmm. table, but I'm really not joking. Yeah. You know, the guy is batshit crazy. I agree. And he's I agree. talking to batshit crazy people. And that's the cult of Trumpism. It, the same shit happened at the Trump organization where you could not stand up. You know, it was Donald is the he's the leader and everybody else of the serfs, including his children, which is why I also say that they're in jeopardy. And I wouldn't be shocked right now. I really would not if Kushner and Ivanka were actually cooperating to keep their asses out of prison. Mm-hmm. Don't listen. I I've known Jared a long time. Obviously, I've known Ivanka longer. Jared's father went away. Jared knows the, the pain that it causes as as a child doesn't want to do it to his children. He's now running some fucked up, bogus, bullshit company, you know. And so I'm telling you, I would not be shocked to find out down the road 
that he's a cooperating witness. But Harry, remember at the beginning, I told you the hour goes by quick. I have one last question. Well, it does. I want to say, well, let me say one quick thing about what you said. I 100% agree. And we saw the crazies January 6th. But what's but that makes it triply galling that the entire Republican Party or 80% of them are willing to say things like, you know, conventional political discourse. And, and the you know, if you if you had these crazies and just said you have crazies, but you took away the factor of a whole party in endorsing them, it would it would be much less scary than it is. Sorry, you got a last question here. And and you're and you're right, because it is scary. So finally, yeah, I want to ask a big picture question yeah. about the January 6th committee. Each week, we wait breathlessly as more witnesses come forward to cooperate or a new document implicates Trump even further. What was once a search for a smoking gun? has now become a bag of guns, each, each one of them on fire. Now, there's no question to what happened and who called the shots. We saw it. We heard it. The sweeping nature of the coup involving Republican operatives, major Republican donors, organizations, as well as members of the Congress, is starkly laid out in documents that the House is investigating that they've now obtained by a subpoena. The question remains, what will, what's in your opinion? What do you think is going to come of this? If you would walk me through the end game for all of this material. And do you think that it'll end up with Donald in a courtroom? Last question first, probably not, uh, not out of the question. And, and for example, keep your eye on the ball in Fulton County, Georgia. Look, what they want to do. Uh, yes, we all knew what knew what happened. But th this goes back to what I said about the real imperative for a democracy. You know, where exactly was he on the six and who was he calling and why was he jubilant? And, you know, to how much how much was he exalting while the flames were were rising? We want to know. Compare this to 9-11 or, or the JFK assassination. Society has a right to a real sort of hour by hour rendition that doesn't just say, you know, yeah, he was a bad guy who wanted to overturn the election, but really does a dissection of it. They, they're not going to put him in jail. But what we want is a really strong um, chronicle of what happened. And I think they're going to give it to us. They've got a big staff, a really good staff. They're really focused that, you know, they've got five different um, uh, areas and they're whiteboarding everything. And there's 400 plus witnesses who've cooperated with, they don't know what we, what they've said. We don't, which is a great position. When witnesses come in, you don't know what the, what, what's been said. So you have to be careful. So I think what we want, it's not everything, Michael, and it's not full justice, but it's hopefully transparency and accountability and an ability of a democracy to take full accounting and move forward. And that requires a, a full story. And I think that's what they're aiming for. And they're a very impressive committee, the best investigative committee, certainly in my lifetime. And I think it's an outrage that they don't have full cooperation from everyone so they can just give it all. But they're going to get you know, 95% of the way, and that's going to be a valuable product. And I think it'll end there, but that's a big place for them to get to. Yeah, I'm kind of disappointed yeah. uh, with what's going on after 400 witnesses, probably about a million documents reviewed. You're going to tell me that they don't have enough to send, you know, um, a 
charging document to the attorney general, you know, to move forward. Uh, no, no, no. But that won't be their call. That'll be that. Then you'll have your own issues with the DOJ. But no, they'll have enough. They already have enough. They have enough last week, as I suggested on the Public Records Act. But that they won't take that as their job. And when they sent the contempt stuff, the DOJ takes it very seriously because they're the victims. They'll give them all this information. There's a whole separate thing. What does the department do with it? But uh, but a full compendium of just what the hell happened in the biggest assault on democracy, at least since the Civil War. Great. That's, so that's great. So it'll make for great school reading, junior high, high school, college, et cetera. It's to me, it reminds like, me of unfortunately back, what happened yeah. with the Mueller report. Everybody was looking at the Mueller report yeah. to be um, this document that was going to become a charging document. We all know that it wasn't. And in fact, yeah. Bill Barr then went ahead and he tried to, you know, pre-negate it with his lies and so on. I certainly hope that that's not what ultimately happens here, because I believe the American people are entitled to legitimate answers uh, for a wannabe Fuhrer. They're entitled to answers, but you want them to, to get justice as well, which, of course, they're entitled to. Don't get me wrong. But I do think right now the one six committee also has its eye on history and look, it's a very sober and critical historical lesson. Also, Harry, let me thank you for your time. You're great. Always, Always a great pleasure to speak to you and see you. Stay safe. Be well. Mask up. <laughs> and today's your big day, uh, Michael. We're so uh, you know you're the one who who told the country what what's now playing out. So thank you so much. On that. Be well, Harry. You too. Bye bye. And now for today's mea culpa. In speaking with Harry Littman. I am reminded of the overall moral rot that lies at the dark heart of Trump's rotten moral compass. Quite simply, the man does not believe the law applies to him in any way whatsoever. To understand how this guides Donald Trump, you must understand his upbringing. In many ways, his outlooks is similar to so-called rich kids disease, which afflicts the offspring of the disgustingly wealthy, causing them to walk through life without care or worry for how their actions affect other people and the certainty that no matter what happens to them, their daddy or their daddy's money will bail them out. You see this happen with Don Jr. and Eric all the time. Ivanka suffers the same lady, but in a different fashion. She believes that whatever was handed to her, she in fact earned. But back to Trump himself. The toxic result of believing oneself to be above the law, to be above moral judgment in general, is that you yourself become comfortable walking over those who would deign to stop you. In Trump's mind, this is the natural order of things. The strong defeat the weak. It causes a level of mania described by Harry Littman in an op-ed for the Los Angeles Times that encapsulates his essential wickedness as president, his treatment of the office as a tool for his own aggrandizement, and his mania for the obstruction of any kind of oversight. Everything Trump does stems from this single belief. It's literally the one guiding principle in his life. According to the New York Times, Maggie Haberman, whose forthcoming book, Confidence Man, The Making of Donald Trump and the Breaking of America, Trump would clog the White House toilet with wads of paper. If the former president flushed documents, as many believe, it was hardly an unintentional act. 
Trump also made a routine practice of tearing up records after being twice, not once, twice warned that he was breaking the law. While it seems unconsequential in the grand scheme of things, it shows an overall pattern of behavior and a complete and total fucking disdain for the rules that govern us as a nation. That's why he's so hard to pin down. He lives outside the rule of law, and we continue to try and pin him down inbounds. And that, my friends, is a fool's errand. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa, nothing but the truth.